it was probably 1998 or maybe 1999. I was at college in San Jose, California, and I had just read something or listened to something that both made me feel guilty and fired up to evangelize, to preach the gospel to someone. And so I rushed out of my dormitory in search of a victim. I mean, someone to evangelize. I was also hungry, and so I went where all broke and hungry college students went on Tuesday evenings in 1999, McDonald's, where hamburgers at the time were just 29 cents and cheeseburgers were only 39 cents. I feel like I just sounded like my dad. When I were younger. So I drove down, I parked, I entered, I ordered my nine cheeseburgers. Nine because ten with tax puts you over four bucks. And I headed back outside. And I can remember, like a hunter glassing an open field, I looked for someone to evangelize. It wasn't difficult. This McDonald's, it was in downtown San Jose, and so it was usually very crowded with hungry and homeless people. And frankly, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for someone who was down and out. I felt that they would want something that I had, and they would be most likely to listen. And so I found a man. He looked like a good candidate. I approached him. And as soon as he saw, before I could say anything, as soon as he saw my big, it was a large bag of food, and he he asked me if I would be willing to give him something to eat. And my response to him was, I kid you not. (laughs) Friend? What I have in this bag is merely food for your body. But I have something greater, and it is food for your soul. That was the line that I rehearsed on my way to McDonald's in the car. So I went through the Romans road with this man, and he graciously and patiently listened, and then he reiterated that his desire was for the food for his body. And so I gave him one cheeseburger and headed back to my car, a bit surprised, honestly, a bit surprised that he had not dropped to his knees in confession, but I was relieved, this was the good thing, I was relieved of all the guilt that I was feeling only an hour before, so mission accomplished. Today I can laugh at that situation. I also feel a bit ashamed about it. I can say that in the 20 years since then, there have been many more instances where I have been left feeling ashamed, mostly because I passed up obvious opportunities to share the gospel with someone. Evangelism is, I 
I think most of us could say or most of us could admit, I certainly can, that evangelism, that preaching the gospel is difficult. And there can be many obstacles in our way. There can be many things that keep us at any given time from evangelizing, from preaching the gospel to someone. In light of that, I do hope that today's sermon, that it will be convicting. I hope it will be helpful. The Apostle Paul, he was an evangelist, maybe the evangelist. And in our text today, he gives what I would call his philosophy of evangelism. In these verses, we have his philosophy of evangelism. It is his evangelistic ideology. And my prayer is that God would use these words to soften our hearts, that he would use these words to determine our wills. And as we study together, we'll need the help of the Holy Spirit in that. We always need the Holy Spirit's help. Paul wrote in this letter that we're studying to understand things that are spiritually discerned. So will you please bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, as we read and study your word together this morning, we ask you fill our hearts with love for you and for others. We ask that you'd fill our minds with truth, with knowledge, and we pray that you would move our wills our volition, to obey you, to love you, to consider and love others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you'll find today's text on page 900. As always, if you're able, I would encourage you to put your Bible on your lap. Follow along with us. Corinth is an ancient city that sits on a narrow piece of land between northern Greece and southern Greece. And in the first century, the Apostle Paul planted a church there. And about five years later, Paul wrote this letter, this letter of 1 Corinthians that we've been studying together. The book could be, it could be divided into sections. And we are currently in the middle of a section in the middle of a section where Paul is confronting Corinthian Christians who had full heads, but they had empty hearts. They had no shortage of insight, but they lacked tenderness. They were correct, but they had no compassion. They understood, in their minds, they understood what their Christian liberties were, but they turned their understanding of their liberties inward to satisfy and gratify themselves rather than outward. Rather than using the freedom and liberty they had in Christ to, to love and to serve others. And so at the very beginning of this section, Paul, he made this indictment. This is from chapter 8, verse 1. Concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And then in the rest of that chapter, chapter 8, Paul went on to exhort the Corinthians. And then in chapter 9, he put forward himself as an example. 
He was an example of someone who would use his liberties and his freedoms to love others and to build up the church. Paul practiced what he preached, and he was giving them that example because he expected them, he expected us to follow his example, to also practice what we preach. And so if you look forward to the very end of this section, which is verse 1 of chapter 11, Paul says, be imitators of me. He says that following his example. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul had knowledge. He had more knowledge than any of the Corinthians had, but he understood what knowledge is for. Knowledge is not for puffing yourself up. Knowledge is for loving God. Knowledge is for loving others. Knowledge is for building up the church. And so Paul told us one thing that he did with his knowledge, specifically his knowledge of the gospel. We studied this a couple weeks ago. He preached it, the gospel that is free of charge. He had a right to make a living from the gospel. He had a God-given right to go from these towns to towns to preach the gospel and to have all of his needs met by those who were converted in the church. But he didn't take advantage of that right. Instead, he preached the gospel with no strings attached. No strings attached so that his motives would never be brought into question and more importantly, his message would not be dismissed. So that brings us to our text today, where this question is going to be answered. Why is Paul so accommodating of others? He is. We've learned that in this letter. We can learn that from reading Paul's others' letters. He was accommodating of other people. He is foregoing his rights. He's limiting his liberty removing obstacles, avoiding conflict, bending over backwards for others. So why does Paul do that? Why is he willing to do that? Why is Paul so concerned, and he is, why is Paul so concerned with offending people? Why is he so careful to accommodate and not offend anyone? I mean, Paul is overthinking this, isn't he? Or when it comes to evangelism, does he not understand the doctrine of predestination, we might wonder? It doesn't matter what Paul does. If God plans to save these people, he will save them. And if God does not plan to save them, he won't save them. So why fret like this? Why fret like this over evangelism? Why think so much about evangelistic goals and evangelistic strategy? So what we have in these verses, verses 19 through 23, is Paul's evangelistic ideology. This is Paul's philosophy of evangelism. Right here in these verses. There is, in Paul's mind, there is an understanding of what evangelism is and how evangelism should be done. And that understanding of evangelism that is in Paul's mind is behind and it is beneath everything that Paul does. 
So God willing, we'll grasp it today. So to simplify our study, I have divided this sermon into three sections. So let's begin with the first section, and this would be entitled Paul's Goal. Paul's goal here. As you have listened to this text already this morning, maybe you read it through this week in preparation or even this morning. When it comes to personal evangelism, think. What do you think that Paul's goal is? What is his aim in evangelism? What is his end His objective. Our verses are few enough that I think it would be helpful if I read them through again. And for you all to carefully listen for Paul's goal. Let's see if you can hear it. Or better yet, if you're reading along, see it. I'll begin with verse 19 and read through verse 22. The question is, what is Paul's goal? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. So stop right there. And without saying anything, get in your mind what you think Paul's goal is. Five times, Paul uses the word win. Win. Such a great word. Win. Do you know what the opposite of win is? The opposite of win is a word that is as terrible as the word win is glorious. Lose. Paul's aim, Paul's goal is not to lose. His goal here is to win. He is not in this to give it his best shot. He is not interested in second place. He will not settle for a participation trophy. Paul is in it to win it. Five times he uses that word, win, 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 win. I'm doing what I'm doing so that I may win. So a couple of questions. Number one, what does Paul mean by win? What does a win look like when it comes to evangelism? This is not a game with a score where the winner is the one with the most points at the end. So what is it that Paul is talking about? Well, how does he use the word? Let's look at the text. He has just used the word win 
and said that his aim is to win Jews and win those under the law and win those outside the law and win the weak. And then in verse 19, his objective is to win more of them. So the goal is to win people. Obviously, isn't it? The goal is to win people. The goal is to gain people. So we're closer to an answer. But a second question, win people to what? Gain people to what? Now the answer to that question is extremely important. If his goal in evangelism is to win people, what is his goal? To win them to what? The goal of Paul's evangelism is not to win them to morality. It's not to win them to good behavior. It's not to win them to a Christian worldview. It's not to win them to conservatism. His goal is not to win them to a denomination. His goal is not to win them to a particular church. The goal of Paul's evangelism is to win them to Christ. The goal of his evangelism is to win them to heaven, to win them to God. And this is clarified in verse 22, where Paul substitutes another word for win. And look what the word is that he uses in the same sense instead of win. Verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might, and he doesn't say win here, but he means that. He says, by all means, that I might save some. So in Paul's mind, winning people means saving people. So he's talking about winning people to Christ. He's talking about the biblical doctrine of salvation. Men and women's greatest need is salvation. You have needs, I have needs, you have many different needs, I have many different needs, and any particular person has particular needs that are unique to them. But there's one need that all of mankind, ever since Adam and Eve and their fall in the garden, has. It is our greatest need. It's not a physical need. It's a spiritual need. And the need is salvation. We are headed straight to hell. We are headed to being alienated forever from God. We are sinners. We do not live as we ought to live. We do not think as we ought to think. We do not believe what we ought to believe. We do not worship and give God the glory that He is due. And that should not and will not be overlooked. It's the greatest offense in the universe. It can't be swept under the carpet. It will be righteously and justly dealt with. And those who live away from God on earth will live away from God forever. So our greatest need is that we be reconciled to God. 
that we be saved from the wrath of God. This is our greatest need. And the only way the Bible teaches that we can be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is the Rescuer. He is the Reconciler. He is the one who is able to reconcile me to God. He is the one and the only one who can reconcile you to God. He himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The only way to the Father is through me. So the only way we can be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. And obviously, no one places their faith in Jesus Christ if they don't know who he is. If you don't know who Jesus is, and you don't know what Jesus has done, that is the gospel, if you don't know Jesus, then you cannot place your faith in Jesus, and you cannot be saved. Sinners come to hear the good news through evangelism. That's why this is so important. It only happens through evangelism. You want your kids to come to Jesus. They won't come to Jesus if they don't hear the gospel from you. You want your friends and your family or your neighbors to come to Jesus. They won't, it won't just happen by being around you. You won't just rub off on them. They won't just figure it out. They need to, with their ears, they need to hear the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you, this is if you're not a believer, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you do that because you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved as a promise. If you hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, you confess that it's true, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, not by what you do, by what you believe, and is justified. And then with the mouth, one confesses what you believe, and is saved. So you're saved by faith. Romans 10, same chapter, verse 17. Faith, where does that come from? From hearing. Hearing what? Hearing through the word of Christ. So there's no faith unless you hear the word, unless you hear the word of Christ, unless you hear the gospel. And how do people hear the gospel? Same chapter, Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then? Will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. How beautiful are those who evangelize. Who win people to Christ whose goal is to save people when it comes to evangelism. Paul's aim is to win people to Christ. 
Now think about this for another minute. Paul is not talking about checking something off the list. Evangelism. Preach the gospel. Handed out a tract. Sent the email. Shared my testimony. That's not his goal. That is not his goal. His goal is not to check something off the list. He's not talking about discharging a duty. Many Christians see evangelism this way. His goal, please listen, his goal is not to merely be faithful in obedience. That is not his goal in evangelism. It's not enough for Paul to just be faithful and proclaim the gospel. That is clearly not his goal. His goal is not to only share the gospel, but through the sharing of the gospel to win. That's his goal. To win, not to lose. Pastor Jeff prays all the time. He prays for our kids and his prayer is, I love it. God, we pray that not one of them, what does he say? Not one of them will be what? Lost. We don't want to lose. We don't want to lose anyone. We want to win everyone. This is Paul's goal. Is that your goal? When you share the gospel with someone you know or love, the goal is not merely to share the gospel. The goal is that they would come to Christ. We evangelize because we love. Let me ask you a question and don't be afraid of being judgmental or making me feel bad. Did I love that homeless man outside the McDonald's in 1999? I did not. I did not. I used him to check off my list. Felt guilty. He made me feel better. I did what I felt I needed to do. To pat myself on the back. Didn't feel like such a wretch anymore. I used him. That's not evangelism. Whatever that is, that's not evangelism. My goal was not ultimately to win him to Christ because I loved him. I didn't care if I ever saw him again. In fact, I think looking back, that's one of the reasons that I went there and witnessed to him. I wouldn't see him again. I wanted to feel better. I wanted to check something off the list. And this is what happens. If your goal is not Paul's goal, then you won't evangelize. Or if you do evangelize, you won't even think through it. You won't labor over it. You won't do it prayerfully. You won't go back again and again and again. You'll just check something off the list and move on. So this is imperative for us to understand. Paul doesn't say, I became all things to all people so that I might honor God, so that I might obey God, so that I might please God. 
So that I might be a good Christian. So that I might win every single one of them to Christ. Why is he saying that? He loves them. The talk in Corinth was full heads and empty hearts. This is what a full head and full heart sounds like. And so he thinks through. He has a philosophy of evangelism. He has specific intentions and his goal is to win people to Christ. So let's move on to his strategy then. We find it in verses 19 through 22. What is your evangelistic strategy? Is there one? Is your strategy to do nothing? After all, God's in control. He's already elected the elect. It's not up to you, it's up to Him. You're so glad that you know that doctrine because it just takes the burden off of you, doesn't it? It just takes the pressure off. So you do nothing. Maybe your strategy is just to pray. But you don't actually preach the gospel. Is your strategy concise and indiscriminate? Is it get the gospel out and into as many ears as possible? That's a strategy. Is it open air preaching? Is it passing along gospel tracts? Is it more elaborated and targeted? Is your evangelism come only and explicitly with those with whom you have built a relationship? Do you have an evangelistic strategy? Do you think about this? So are, there are different groups of people that Paul mentions here. And we'll see that his game plan, his strategy is the same with each of them. So let's take them one at a time. First, verse 19. He makes an overarching statement in verse 19 in regards to his evangelistic strategy. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Servant is the key word. Paul's not interested in ruling over anyone he wants to be a servant. He's not looking to get something out of people or use people. He wants to be a servant. He's not driven by fear. He's a servant. And so he wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So Paul sees himself as a servant, a servant to all. That's the first way he describes his strategy. And now in the verses to follow, he explains. Here's what he means. Here's what he means by being a servant to all. And so he mentions these specific groups that he hopes to win to Christ. Look at verse 20. To the Jews, that's the first group. I became as a Jew. That's strategy here. And that's a phrase that he'll use over and over again. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. So when it comes to Jews at the time, Paul said that he became as or like, would be another word that we could use, he became like the Jews. 
And the second half of the verse is probably talking about the same group of people. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So look at that verse. What is his goal for the Jews? His goal is to win them. And what is his strategy? It is to become as a Jew. So those who were under the law, those who were under the law are are those who are under the burden of the law. They are those who see the law as a way of being justified before God. If I can do the law good enough, if I can obey the law good enough, and be a good enough person, then I will be justified before God. So I'll be justified through my obedience to the law. So I'm trying to find favor with God by following the rules. And the way that's described in the Bible is putting yourself or being under the law. So Paul gives a clarification. Do you see that in the parenthesis? He says, though, not being myself under the law. So he says, I'm not under the law. I know that I'm saved by faith alone and not saved by my adherence to the law. So so I know better, but he became as those who were living under the law. So he was willing to live as if he was under the law in hopes to win Jews. In other words, this is what Richard Pratt writes. He cared so much about the Jewish community that he observed their customs. This is what it means that he lived as one under the law. He would observe their customs and laws when he was with them so that the gospel might take root in them. So we have examples of this in the Bible. There's one in Acts chapter 16. There's one in Acts chapter 21. You remember in Acts chapter 16, it's in regards to Timothy. And Paul was going to be taking Timothy with him to preach to and to minister to Jews. And in verse 3, it says Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him. That is, in accordance with the law, as if Timothy and Paul were under the law and obligated to do this. So Paul circumcised him because, why, of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And then in Acts chapter 21, verses 23 through 26, there were uh, leaders in the church that had gotten together and they were talking about this reality that there were Jewish unbelievers who had heard about Paul and they were offended that Paul was not requiring Christians to obey the ceremonial and the dietary laws. And so this is what they decided to do. Verse 24, but that you yourself, Paul, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. You don't have to observe the laws. You're not under the law, Paul, but he was committed to, I'm going to go ahead and follow these customs and follow these laws so that I don't offend them so that I can preach the gospel. So he became like a Jew. Became like one under the law. Verse 26 of Acts 21. Then Paul took the men who were with him 
And the next day, he purified himself. He didn't think he needed to do that. He purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So he wants to win those under the law. So he became like those under the law. The next group, verse 22, those outside the law. To those outside the law, I became as, same phrase, one outside the law. He gives another clarification. Not being outside the law of God. He's not. But under the law of Christ. And why did he do that? That I might win those outside the law. He's not talking about Jews. He's probably talking about Gentiles. Those who didn't grow up with God's law. Those who didn't have God's law which put them at a disadvantage. The law is important. The law drives us to Christ. The law teaches us that we can't meet the requirements. So we need a Savior. The law is beautiful because the law contains God's standard. We learn who God is. We learn of His holiness. We learn of His expectations. God's promises begin to be told in God's law. So there are those who are outside the law, who had no regard for God's law, no understanding of God's law. And when Paul was with them in order to win them, he no longer was concerned about following these ceremonial laws or these dietary laws. He wanted to meet them where they were. There's an example in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, this is people outside the law, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So you see what he's doing. He's becoming like them. He's understanding who are these people. How do they think? What is their worldview? What are their religions? What do they believe? What are their customs? What are the traditions? And then he would become like them. He would follow that. He would try to meet them on their ground so that he would not offend them so that he could preach the gospel. And he's willing to do all of that because his goal is not just to check it off the list. He actually wants to be successful. He wants them to know Christ. He wants them to come to Jesus. So he has strategy. Finally, the weak. We're familiar with the weak. He's been addressing the weak in this letter. He says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. So those who were newer Christians, those who did not have much knowledge, who maybe he thought were teetering on the brink, maybe some of them not believers yet, he wanted to see them one to Christ. And then finally, another overarching statement at the end here. I have become, looks back and summarizes his strategy. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. John Calvin writes, to become all things 
is to assume all appearances as the case may require or to put on different characters according to the diversity among individuals. So Paul's strategy is to be a servant. His strategy is to become all things to all people. His strategy is to be flexible and adaptable. This is why he was willing to bend over backwards. This is why he was willing to give up his rights. Paul worked hard not to offend people. He really did. He worked hard not to offend people. You could say his motto would be that if the gospel offends people, so be it. He would never and we should never be flexible with the gospel. But in Paul's mind, he would be damned if he ever recklessly offended people. If it's my message, fine. But I'm not going to offend people with my attitude or my words or my disregard of their worldview or their customs or their traditions. And so he worked hard to become all things to all people that he might save them. He would get to know the people, get to know their city, get to know their culture. He'd become like them in as many, many ways as possible. He would, as other missionaries have, he would change the way he dressed, the way he ate, the language he used. He'd pay attention to worldview and tradition and holidays and family life and religious beliefs. Listen to what he says at the end of the section. In chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then he says this, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage. We might mock somebody that talks like that today. You hear Paul tiptoeing? I'm working hard not to offend anyone. He says, I'm working hard. I try, this is a quote. I try to please everyone in everything I do. Now, that's a good thing to do if you have the same motive as Paul. There's a lot of places where that's wrong. But this is good. It is good to try to please people in everything that you do. It is good to try, work hard, not to offend people so that what is verse 33 of chapter 10? That they may be saved. So he says, call me a people pleaser. He was accused of that. You're all strong in your letters, but you're weak in person. He says, fine. I don't care what you think. My goal is to win people to Christ. I'm not just trying to discharge a duty here. And so I'm thinking this through. And I'm working hard at this. And I'm considering people and listening to them and getting to know them, building a relationship with them and using what I know of them and their culture so that I could preach the gospel, 
be inflexible with the gospel, but flexible with everything else in such a way that they would actually hear and receive what I say about Jesus because my goal is to win them to Christ. Probably one of the greatest examples of this is Hudson Taylor. If you're not familiar with Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary to China in the 1800s. It's arguable that there are Christians in China today because of Hudson Taylor. In 1866, he led a very large group of missionaries to China. And what he did there, not so controversial anymore, but it was extremely controversial at the time. But what he did with this group was rooted in his understanding of the very text we are studying, he and his companions, they adopted Chinese customs. And culture and dress. They learned their languages. They even translated the Bible into one of their languages. He was in China for 51 years. And here was one of his mottos. He said, let us, and you'll hear it in this text, rooted in this text. Hudson Taylor said, let us, in everything not sinful, become like the Chinese. Let us in everything not sinful become like the Chinese. You hear that? Let us become all things to the Chinese in order that we might save them. He didn't say, well, that's dumb. But that makes me uncomfortable. Or that's silly. Or what will people back home think? Or what impression would that give? His goal was to win the Chinese to Christ. And so he was willing to become all things in hopes that he might save some. So Paul's goal was to win people to Christ. His strategy was servant-hearted, flexibility, and adaptability. There's one more section. Verse 23. One more heading. We have Paul's gain. What does Paul look to gain in all of this? No guarantee. He hopes that he wins these people to Jesus. He's willing to be a servant to them, to be flexible with his life, to be adaptable with his life. But what, what is his hope? What's the reward that he might have? Verse 23, I do it all. Everything he just said. I do it all. For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Did you hear what it is that Paul seeks to gain or to benefit through all this evangelism? His goal is to win them to Christ. And if they would be one to Christ... Paul's gain is to share with the Corinthians in the gospel's blessings. It's the blessing of leading someone to Christ and then having a relationship with them. It's the blessing of Christian friendship. It's the blessing of having fellowship with other Christians. 
The deepest friendship is with other Christians. The deepest fellowship is with other Christians. Many of you know this. Many of you have experienced this. Some of you have closer relationships with those who are Christians and not part of your biological family than you do with members of your biological family. Some of you are closer to Christians than, that you've known for a few years than to people that you've known your entire life. Those of you, I've said it before, those of you who are married and you're both Christians, holy smokes, it gets no better than that. This person you love that loves you, this person that you have closest friendship with, that you both have faith in Jesus, that you both believe the gospel, that you're both looking beyond one another and to God, that you have that as your ballast, that you have that as your foundation. Think of those friendships that you have if God has given them to you. Those people that you know, those people who know you, they know how terrible you are. They know how you think. They know what you say. They know what you do. They know what you'd never say in this room. You'd never say it at the church picnic. But you say it at home when you're tested and tried. And you're frustrated. And it's terrible what comes out, isn't it? And they love you. And they walk with you. They forgive you. They remind you of the good news. They remind you of the gospel. It's not possible apart from Christ. What's happening when that happens? When you encourage one another in Christ, when you confront one another in Christ, when you forgive one another because of Christ, you are sharing the blessings of the gospel. This is what Paul wants. This is what he seeks to gain. His goal is to win people to Christ so that he can be a part of God's family with them forever. Forever. He knows he's going to have temporal relationships with some of them, but some of them he's going to know forever. I look out at you, and I think that I'm going to have a relationship with many of you. I pray all of you think about this forever. That may really discourage some of you. It encourages me. I mean, I don't know if we'll be down the street from each other. I don't know, but we'll know each other forever, potentially. I'm overjoyed. That, that I'm going to be with my wife forever. I'll know her forever. We'll share in the gospel blessings forever. Fellowship with Christ. Fellowship with one another. There's people in your life that you love. You have children you love and they're young. And you don't know what they're going to look like when they're standing on their own two feet. You don't have a crystal ball. You can't see into the future. You don't know what their priorities are going to be when they're 35. You don't know if they're going to be faithful. You don't know if they're going to trust Christ. But what's your goal? It's to win them to Christ. 
because you love them. You got a full head and a full heart in regards to those you love. And so we share the gospel over and over and over again. We demonstrate the power of the gospel over and over and over again by being open about our sin ourselves, by confessing our sin ourselves. Right in regards to your kids, your kids don't need perfect parents. Good thing. They need repentant parents. In conclusion, Paul's goal was to win people to Christ. Paul's strategy was servant-hearted flexibility and adaptability. Paul's gain is to see others come to Christ and to join him in the family of God. So two questions in light of that for you to think about. Number one, what is your goal in evangelism? What drives you? Do you long to see people you love saved? Do you long to see people you barely know saved? What is your goal in evangelism? It shouldn't be to earn something. It shouldn't be to deserve something. It shouldn't be to make yourself feel better. It shouldn't be to gain the approval of God. You already have it if you're in Christ. It should be to win people to Christ. And then second question, what is your game plan? What is your strategy? Are you flexible? How badly do you want this for people you love? Comes out here. Are you flexible? Are you adaptable? Is it for you or is it for others? Do you preach the gospel? I hope you don't think that's my job. It's my job to do it here, behind this every week. But it's your job to do it wherever you are. Do you preach the gospel? Are you prayerful? Do you know that your preaching is necessary, but God's work in the heart is necessary? And no one will be saved if God doesn't open eyes and open ears and soften hearts and give a new spirit, give the gift of faith. Are you willing to be a servant? Are you willing to give up your rights, to give up your wants and desires? Are you willing to become all things to all men that you might save some?